Hey guys, just a heads up. Before we start this episode, Peter Demas shares some situations when he was in school and at work that might not be appropriate for young listeners. My right-hand man and I combined, we had over 100 years of restaurant experience. And oh yeah, we got God on our side. Before the land broke ground, we prayed and we dedicated the land to to God and the ideas that we had just didn't work. 70% of the servers we hired never waited tables before. So even on the first Friday night, the average check from the time that the customer's food entered into the kitchen to the time it left the kitchen was 40 minutes long. This was supposed to be the most efficient restaurant. It was the worst experience that I ever could possibly imagine. From Lux Mundi, you're listening to Faith Collides. It's a show about industry leaders and the stories behind how faith plays into life at work. I'm Grace Wong. Joining me today is Peter Demas, a restaurateur in Tennessee and the CEO of Demas' Brands, a family business that his father started. So I grew up really in the restaurant business. My father, a fourth generation restaurant operator, when I was a year old, he moved to Tennessee into a Western Sizzlin franchise. So I grew up reading a book in the corner while he's having a meeting. And then at 12 years old, I started working in the restaurants, washing dishes. Working as a dishwasher? What was that like? Were they paying you? I did get paid. I got paid minimum wage. What was that at that time? Do you remember? $3.35 an hour. I got to keep 20% of it to do what I wanted to. And then the rest went to my college fund. For me, that was a lot of fun. But it wasn't just even from the money aspect of it. There was a community of working around restaurant people. I was being exposed to people who really made some bad decisions in their life. The guy who trained me in dishroom on the first day, the second day he was terminated for stealing from the restaurant. And then there were other things like I couldn't understand why they didn't want me taking out the trash with them. I'm like, I want to take out the trash too. Like I wanted to do it because that's everyone seemed like they were having a good time. Well, later I recognized and realized they went to take out the trash because they would smoke pot behind the dumpster. Of course, they didn't want the boss's son go to see what was happening. So they're like, no, 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 you stay here. Since they were the ones that were nice and treated me well, I had more of a connection with them than I ever did with anybody in the private Christian schools. While Peter enjoyed working at his dad's restaurants, he really struggled at school. He says his parents put him in a Christian private school in the late 1970s because the public schools in Nashville were unsafe with violent crimes, including rape happening in the hallways. But for Peter, a Christian private school was not where he wanted to be. We're going to dive deeper into how Peter grew up and had terrible experiences with people of the Christian faith. And as he shares more, I want you to think about how your faith may have been impacted by the people around you. It wasn't until Peter Demas was 40 years old that he came to terms with his faith. Before that, whenever he ran into trouble, Peter managed to get himself out of it on his own. So going to a Christian private school, what was that like for you? It was absolutely terrible. The kids were mean. I was toward the bottom of the social scale. Most of those kids claimed they were Christian. Every morning you had to get up and and do a devotional. And then, you know, that afternoon I'm running to the bus stop hoping that I don't get beat up. I was the kid that if you're having a bad day, you were the one that you, you found to beat up on. And how did that affect your faith? I read the Bible stories and I went to Sunday school. My parents are big believers. So clearly I had to be Christian by default. And so my practical experience was all negative. So as a result, 
I became very antagonistic because it was kind of like, God's a jerk. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And then later, I kind of settled into the fact of God's an absentee landlord. You know, he's there when your pipes burst and you ask him to fix your pipes. Otherwise, he stays up there. I stay down here. We don't have anything to do with each other and we're okay. Peter reached a point where he couldn't stand it at Christian school anymore. By junior year, he was able to convince his parents to let him transfer schools. And Peter says he had a completely different experience at a public school. When I was at the private school, my mother said, well, one of the reasons why you don't make friends is because you're not involved in any activities. I was like, well, I want to try debate. So I went to the debate coach and I said, I want to do debate. And the teacher looked at me and she said, I don't think that's right for you. I think you're too stupid to do debate. And those are her exact words to me. Then she's like, why don't you try something else? So when I went to the public school, I joined the debate team. Everybody from that school that I debated against, I won. When I went to the public school, I had friends. I had more friends in the first year of my public school that I was there than fourth grade through 11th grade combined. I mean, it was completely changed and completely different experience. Wow. And, and I really like how you already took it into your own hands. It must have been a terrible experience that you had to make that decision to switch schools. But at that time, were you thinking anything about your career? I always wanted to be a lawyer. One time, my father was a witness in a criminal case, a fraud case, and he thought it'd be good for me to see how the court worked. And I went and I was completely fascinated by the process. It was so neat to sit and watch the system and the argument and the listening to them make the, the arguments against each other and the cross-examining of the witnesses. And it was so fascinating to me that I started studying it. And so when you got out of high school and you were applying for colleges, you got into University of Memphis. Was that like your dream school? Was that kind of like your idea? Like, oh, this is how I'm going to get to law school? Unfortunately, the reason why I went to Memphis I made really bad decisions. My my son right now is 18. He's looking at colleges right now and he's going through that process. And I want to make certain he doesn't make the same mistakes I did. I didn't really think it through all the way like that. It's just very real of how an 18 year old makes decisions. 18 years old, you want to go to law school. What was it like going to college for you? College was completely different. Girls actually liked me for the first time. The big problem came along, which was I got pre-approved for credit card. That's when the mistakes started happening. They got gifts galore. We went to eat out. And then when that credit card maxed out, I went and got another credit card and another one. And I just continued to go deeper and deeper in debt. By the time I finished two years, I had to come home with that tail stuck between my legs because I was so horribly in debt, tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And I was making great money as a bartender. But again, it was cash money. So you take the cash and instead of putting it in the checking account to pay my bills, I would go spend the cash. Then all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, I got rent due. <laughs> you know, what do I do now? You know, and so, you know, I'll just guess I'll work more. And then I stopped going to classes. So my GPA was plummeting. I mean, just everything in my life was just, I was just not in a really good place at all. It was just overwhelming for you to go to college, have all this attention from girls that you never had, get credit cards. You didn't really know how to manage. And so by your end of sophomore year, you realized it was a huge problem. In my mind, I'm blaming external circumstances because it can't be me. When you're 18, 20 years old, you know, nothing is ever your fault. It's everybody else's fault. What would you pinpoint as kind of a turnaround for you? The first thing was I joined the debate team there. 
because I wanted to not get kicked off the debate team, I buckled down a little bit in my grades. The other piece that really happened on the financial side was my father made me attend a seminar by a guy named Dave Ramsey. He'd only written his financial peace book. He had a small radio program. And I remember going to it thinking, I can't believe I'm going to this. My father was going to give me some type of incentive to go. And I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go the first break. You know, I'm going to leave and I'm going to have the material to tell him. I'm going to tell him one thing I learned, but it's going to be miserable. It's going to be boring. And I ended up reading his entire financial peace book during the breaks of the entire sermon series. I went, I cut up my ATM, cut up my credit cards and started doing debt snowballing. It, it completely changed my entire life. So what is debt snowballing? So debt snowballing is where you list all your debts from the smallest to largest and you start paying them off from the smallest. to largest. So you pay your minimum amount until your smallest is paid first. And then you take whatever your amount is in your smallest and you apply it to your next amount. So let's say my smallest debt, I'm paying $5 a month. Then my second smallest, I'm paying 10. Well, when I'm done with my first one, I take that five and I apply it to my 10. So now I have $15 a month I'm applying to the second one. So now that gets paid off a little quicker. And then I'm taking that 15 and I combine it to the 50 that's on my next one or however much. So therefore it starts to snowball. So you're snowballing out of your way out of debt. So college taught you a lot of financial responsibility. College didn't. College living taught me a whole lot of financial responsibility. (laughs) I tell people now, you know, I'm not a huge advocate of college. I think it's extremely important as far as a maturity level. I think you have better paths in college, but it's the maturity that I think that helps people get through it. And I think there's some people that it's not necessary. For me, it was absolutely necessary being able to be protected a little bit more in college when you go out on your own. And you're already making a good salary in college, but you you wanted to go to law. So tell me about doing that. The first lawyers I worked for It was a small firm. The problem was one of the lawyers I worked with had a drug problem and didn't show up to work very often, stole his client's money. He tried to get me to sign something saying that he paid me with that money. Well, his checks were bouncing with me. And then when he tried to get me to commit an unethical act, I reported him to the bar, went and found another lawyer. And that lawyer was not a really good lawyer. He was a really nice guy, but he couldn't tell a client no. And as a result of him not being able to tell a client no, We took some really bad cases. I remember talking to my father then saying, I don't know if this is for me. And he said, well, you know, keep trying. And once you become a lawyer, you know, see what you think. Peter ended up working for another lawyer in Tennessee. And although it was a much better environment, Peter was still left thinking, I don't know if this is for me. He just couldn't picture himself spending a whole career working as a lawyer. And part of it was because they handled a lot of divorce cases. He had just gotten engaged to his wife, Kristen, and it wasn't very helpful when so many people would tell him how their marriages were terrible. Unsure of what to do, Peter decided to talk to his dad about it again. So I called my father and I said, I want to go for a ride. And that was always whenever we had to have a serious conversation, we would get in the car and go for a ride. We drove down toward a town called Shovelville. It's just down on this one road. and We just went all the way down there. And I finally said, I'd like to come back. What I didn't realize at that time was that he was kind of getting at that age where he couldn't physically run the restaurant anymore. And so he was looking at people trying to buy the restaurant and everything kept failing. All He kept running into closed doors everywhere. So he was ecstatic because I kind of solved that problem and I wanted to get back into the restaurant and kind of go from there. So tell me about the restaurant. So Demas, 
is after your dad's name. So how would you describe this restaurant? It started out with he was going to be mostly steaks and spaghetti. It was called Demas's Steak and Spaghetti House. And he had a couple of other dishes. And then like a good Greek restaurant operator, he started adding more recipes, started adding more menu items. And so it's a full service restaurant. The servers were a certain tie. So we looked nice, but we wanted to make it affordable for all people, not just those who could afford to eat out. We wanted to make it affordable for people who couldn't all the time. So Peter got back into working for his dad and also started buying and selling other restaurants on the side. In 2009, Peter and his sister bought the business from his dad so he could expand it a bit more. But as his life got consumed in the restaurant life, Peter's marriage with Kristen wasn't doing well. We were in a really terrible place. We even had a marriage counselor tell us to get a divorce. And my wife turned our marriage over to God. She stopped praying for God to change me. She started praying for God to teach her how to love me. That's really what healed our our marriage. I didn't recognize it at the time. I just thought she got better. Let's take a break. And when we come back, Peter will share how his faith journey and life started to turn as his wife encouraged him to go to church. And if you ever assume that life and business will get better when you turn to faith, stick around. You'll hear how Peter's new restaurant concept went downhill right after he met God. Welcome back. As Peter Demas's restaurant career was thriving, his marriage wasn't. But his wife, Kristen, wouldn't give up and continued to nudge Peter toward God. Kristen's persistence paid off when Peter agreed to go to a church service with a guest speaker named Angus Buchan. Angus is a pastor from South Africa, and there's actually a movie about him called Faith Like Potatoes that you could find online. Angus's life story and sermon were more powerful than Peter expected. Angus starts to preach and he's talking about ordinary people and how God uses ordinary people. And at the end, he does an altar call. I've experienced God before, but this is the first time I really kind of felt something and I went up. So going up during an altar call is essentially walking to the front of a church and saying a prayer. It's what some people do when they first decide to become a Christian. And that's exactly what Peter did. But within a few hours, he was feeling like he's been tricked or manipulated. Remember, he didn't really trust or like religious people. So he was surprised and skeptical when he got a phone call the next day asking him to come meet Angus and talk more. Peter was getting ready to leave town and go to Memphis for a board meeting, but reluctantly agreed to stop by for a few minutes. So I went to the meet and greet with Angus. He asked a question. He said, you know, are you willing to die for your country? He said, if you're willing to die for your country, why are you afraid to speak out for God? And nobody has ever accused me of being frightened before and being scared of anything. It was like somebody just punched me in the gut. Later, I got in my car and I drove to Memphis. And the whole time there, I started listening to sermons. I downloaded the, our church's app and I started listening to our pastor's sermons on the way down. And I just couldn't get enough listening to him over and over and over again. The next three days, I slept for four hours in that hotel room in Memphis. I was either listening to sermons. I watched the movie Faith Like Potatoes. I researched Angus to see if he was a fraud. I researched my pastor to see if he was a fraud. 
I was just consumed and I was just wrestling and fighting with God. I was pouring sweat, couldn't sleep, didn't attend any social event there. I just went down to the meeting. I you know, participated in the meeting the way I could and then just immediately came back up to my room. I mean, got room service, didn't even go out to eat. I just could not do anything. And it was just overwhelming fighting and wrestling with God the whole time. And the day I was leaving, I was taking a shower and I was tired. I mean, I was exhausted. And we had the last board meeting and then I had to drive the three and a half hours back on an awful road to drive. It's, it's tiring on a normal circumstance. And I was a little worried about it. I was actually considering staying another night just so I can get some sleep because I was worried that I would be a dangerous driver. And I'm, so I'm kind of going through this in my head and everything that was happened the last three days. And I finally just said, God, you win. I'm turning everything over to you. And when I did that, I fell on my knees. I started bawling, crying, everything, all these fears and insecurities I didn't realize I had kind of came in and lifted up and out of me. And I mean, everything changed. Colors were different. The smells were different. I mean, just everything about it. I went down to the board meeting and just, I mean, I couldn't help but touch people. Like I was patting them on the back and giving people hugs and I'm not a hugger, you know? I mean, I was so excited and I was just so full of energy and so full of joy. And then on the drive back, I'm listening to sermons again and I'm thinking, okay, what do I need to do? And I went home and told my wife, I'm gonna get baptized. Everything just kind of radically changed at that point. And that's when I said, okay, if I'm turning everything over to God, that includes my wife, my kids, and my work. And I had to turn my work over to God. And that's when it kind of started to change in that area. At the same time, Peter's life was changing for the better. Things at work actually got worse. Yes, Peter turned over his work to God, but that didn't change the fact that a new high-end restaurant concept he'd been developing at that time got off to a terrible start. So we had nationwide search, best architect, best designer, you know, a vice president of operations that was gonna be awesome. You know, my right-hand man and I combined, we had over a hundred years of experience, restaurant experience. And oh yeah, we get God on our side. Before the land broke ground, we went and we prayed and we dedicated the land to, to God. And then we started the building process. 70% of the servers we hired never waited tables before. So they didn't know how to carry trays, much less find service. The ideas that we had just didn't work. So even on the first Friday night, the average check from the time that the customer's food entered into the kitchen to the time it left the kitchen was 40 minutes long. And this was supposed to be the most efficient restaurant. It was the, the worst experience that I ever could possibly imagine. We kept rigging and trying to change it, muscling it and trying to figure out how to fix it. Customers were complaining. People thought I was competing with my father. They didn't realize that I had already, that the restaurant was already mine. So they were angry with me for that. We budgeted a loss for the year. The first month we hit that budget. We lost the same amount that we thought we were gonna lose a year. The next month we doubled it. The next month we tripled it. And you know, the bank was started asking questions because they can see that, that it's a nightmare. The friends that we had just disappeared. Some of them disappeared because I was a Christian. Some of them disappeared because they saw that Peter Dees was just a nightmare and they didn't want to have any association with it. So by three months, you are already losing four times you had budgeted for the year, maybe. So was there a time, like a breaking point for when you realized I'm, I'm just going to have to shut this down? Everyone was saying, you aren't going to make it six months. And I'm like, I'm going to make it six months. Like, <laughs> you know, it was no matter what. And that's why we started loaning money personally to it. That was still that remnant of pride that was still there. But it kind of got to the point where emotionally, 
I couldn't take it anymore. Like I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And the problem was the way I would always fix problems before I found Christ was I would get angry and I would yell and throw things and force them to do it right. And I knew that wasn't the right way to do it anymore, but I didn't know what the right way was. I'm still reading the Bible every day, but I hadn't made it through the Bible yet. I, I was still trying to understand and, and trying to know what it's like to be a Christian, much less a Christian business owner in the middle of a failing business. And I couldn't take it anymore. And I came into my office. It was uh, Saturday morning. I got there about four o'clock. I wasn't sleeping anyway, so it didn't matter. And I did what I always did every morning, which I just read my Bible and I prayed and I journaled and was just overwhelmed because it just, again, this was just too much for me. And I finally just fell on the floor and was bawling, crying. And I'm talking about like small child bawling, like snot, spit, tears, everything combined coming out, you know. But all of a sudden I heard a, a voice and it's the only time I've ever heard God's audible voice. And it said, that's enough. Get up and go to work. And I turned and looked around and like there was nobody here. I went over and sat down at the desk and started doing emails because I couldn't do anything else. Like I couldn't even think anymore. There was a note that was there that said, do not worry about tomorrow for today has enough worries on its own. And I remember it came from Matthew 6. So I grabbed my Bible and I started reading Matthew 6. I was like, wow, what else does the Bible say about worry? And it led me eventually to Philippians 4, 6, where the word thanksgiving appeared. You know, do not be anxious for anything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, submit your request to God. And I realized I'm not being thankful. All I'm doing is complaining. You know, why aren't you giving me what I want? And I'm not being thankful for the stuff that, that he's allowed and the faithfulness during that time. So we called a prayer meeting and made it voluntary. Any staff could come and managers, employees, anybody can come. And we were just going to be thankful. We met at Peter D's. We had a prayer meeting of, of Thanksgiving. And then we asked God to, to fix it. And the next week was the lowest sales we ever had. And I'm like, oh, again, you know, what's going on? But what started happening was we started getting these different ideas and we started making these changes. And then we had all these bad employees, employees we didn't realize were bad, but they started quitting and we started having much better employees come in. I was meeting some guy to help him with his failed restaurant. He wanted my advice and I went in and talked with him. He told me, he said, if we started doing breakfast within two weeks, we had breakfast plans, recipes, menu, everything like that. And we're rolling out breakfast. And because of that breakfast, we were able to move from sinking to floating. We weren't swimming. We weren't saved, but we were able to at least stay above water at that point in time. Like we weren't doing good, but we weren't dying anymore. And it continued like that with these problems and everything we had for almost five years. The restaurant still lasted about five years, but it was God's faithfulness and his mercy just was so good during that time. And again, it was hard, but it was definitely a process, but he got us through those months. And you don't blame him for, because a lot of times you would see like, oh, I committed this to God. Why didn't it work out? Yeah, in a sense, I blame him, but I also praise him for it because if I was successful right from the start and if everything went perfect, I would have taken credit for it. I wouldn't have given him any credit at all. And my pride would have taken over and I could have easily have fallen away. And I easily could see that happening. So yeah, I can blame him for Peter D's, but I'm so thankful for the consequences of it. I'm so thankful that he allowed me to go through it. And even going into what's happening now with COVID, because of those lessons I learned, I was able to apply it through these crises and these problems. And I can put it forth in so many different ways and become an encouragement to so many other people. So what was interesting is how God got us out of Peter D's. 
I recognized we kept having all these failed opportunities. And so I went away for a weekend and just spent the time in prayer and prayed and, and God, what direction do you want me to go? Apparently, you know, something's wrong, you know, or you would be opening doors and you're not, you're closing doors. And I ended up on that time creating a fast casual concept called PDK Southern Kitchen and Pantry. We were able to take a lot of the recipes that we had at Peter D's and apply it to fast casual, a place where you go, you pay first, you sit down and we bring the food out. And so we were able to start that. While we were planning on it, another company came along and said, I want to lease your building there now where Peter D's is. You know, would you be interested? And, and I really wanted to do it, but I didn't know what's the right thing to do and not the right thing to do. My wife and I were torn. And I met a, a friend of mine who said, you can't thwart God's plans. Whatever happens is going to happen. Just let it go. Don't push one way or the other. And that's what I did. And eventually they just kind of fell off. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not God's plan. So we're supposed to keep Peter D's. A week later, I got a call from somebody else saying, hey, I have a contract with a place across the street from you, but every time I drive by, someone says, I need to call you and see if you're willing to lease your building. I've never had it happen one time in my career, and it happened two times back to back. And I said, sure. Within 30 days, we had the deal worked out and we had moved out of that building. They're now leasing it from us. And we were able to use all the the processes. We were able to use a lot of the equipment we had to open up our first PDK. So from that, we were able to kind of diversify a little bit. So when COVID happened, I mean, it came with such force and such magnitude. And really quickly, could you share what's happened to your restaurants when COVID hit? And how have you been getting through this time? I mean, within a week, our dining rooms were shut down. The president was saying, don't eat at restaurants. The governors were saying, don't eat at restaurants. And, you know, meanwhile, these regulations, we're trying to figure out what we can do and not do, what's right, what's not right. Our sales plummeted. One of our locations was in the tourist area. It went from doing well down to lost 97% of its sales. We ended up closing it. The rest lost about 65%. But our fast casuals dropped about 10 to 15% in sales because people were used to getting it to go. It was easy and fast and quick to get it to go. The full service ones, we were still adjusting. We had hired an IT guy about two years before that, and he had worked with our point of sale system. He made some changes and created a curbside and delivery option for us. An area supervisor we hired had a delivery business before it failed and he came to work for us. I mean, you see God's pieces just put in place that we had no idea was there. And we were able to do all of that. And you were able to deliver during that time. We were able to deliver quickly because those servers that we laid off, we said, all right, you can now deliver. So you can now draw unemployment and work as an independent contractor delivering food. And so they were able to do so. And we were able to provide some opportunities for people during that. And the biggest piece, though, was, again, recognizing, you know, it's scary. You know, are you going to lose everything immediately? I mean, we paid all of our bills, but we didn't have any more cash. And we still had $500,000 of outstanding current liabilities, you know, and bills are still coming in. Rent still owed. Utilities are still being paid. You know, we still got to buy food. So I had to kind of separate those and figure out like, okay, who gets paid first and who gets paid last? Those experiences I had in, in Memphis of poor money managing and learning how to, to overcome it. I applied all of that into this period of time. And then it was the, you know, what do you do with your 3 a.m. moments when you wake up and you're scared, you're going to lose everything. And what are you going to do? And 
during COVID, especially those early days, you didn't know what to be thankful for. But, you know, again, I was thankful I had an IT person. I was thankful that our marriage was strong at that time and, you know, that we were all healthy. And that's what we started doing. And we just started praising him and being thankful. And two days later, we'd be scared again. So we'd have to start the process. But we would use these opportunities that we had to be thankful and make certain that the eyes and attention was focused on him. And in Philippians 4, 7, you know, it says there's a peace that comes. It's true that you get a peace that you can't fully explain. And so as we kind of go through this process, and, and we're still not 100% caught up on our bills, but we're seeing it slowly inch away and kind of go through. And we've seen all these obstacles pop up. And the future is still uncertain. Absolutely. I mean, they're talking about shutdowns again. We get so caught up in our business life and so caught up in our family life and so caught up with school or caught up with my sports life that we forget that all of that is just a subset of everything there that is part of your God life. And so when you give it to him, you have to do it through an act of humility. You know, I'm not in control of my business. He is. He just has allowed me to be a steward. If he wants to close our restaurants right now, he doesn't have to use COVID to close them. I learned that with Peter D's. If he wants to keep them open or he wants me to be successful through those businesses, I don't need government money to do that. I can't thwart his plans. All I can do is be obedient and respond to what he's asking me to do in that moment. That's the thing that's just so great about this whole situation with COVID. It really has confirmed who I am in Christ even more. And so that's the part that we get to see during this time. Do I want this happening? No, (laughs) absolutely not. But I don't get to choose but I do get to choose how I react to it. And that's what's critical in this time. Peter was 40 years old when faith started to take hold of his life. Before that, he was able to get by on his own without faith meaning anything to him. From switching out of his private school to getting out of huge amounts of debt to figuring out his career in the restaurant business, Peter tried to handle everything that life threw at him on his own but he never knew true peace until he started believing in God. Now, that didn't mean his restaurant instantly became more successful. Even today, things aren't any better with COVID, but Peter's heart and his perspective have changed. And so he's always ready to encourage his employees during this time. Our kitchen manager, you know, was worried. They're talking about shutdowns and his wife got laid off and hasn't been able to find a job. And so I called him and I said, let me just tell you about fear where fear is rooted. And let me tell you how to overcome fear. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I'm asked to do. And you know what, God, I just trust you to take care of these situations. I may not be in the restaurant business, but the one thing COVID can't change, it can't change that I'm a child of God. Even if I get COVID and I die, I'm still a child of God. It can't take away my peace. It can't take away my joy because it's not rested in these things of this world. If it's hard for you to trust God in this moment because of what you're going through, I hope Peter's story will remind you that even in times of crisis or failure, God gives peace, the ability to be thankful, and even the hope to encourage those around you. If you want to know more of Peter's story, check out his book, Afraid to Trust. You can find the link to it in our show notes. I'm Grace Wong, bringing you stories that can revive your work week. Hope you have a blessed day. Faith Collides is hosted and produced by me. This episode is edited by Josh Batson, audio mixing by Josh Batson and Joshua Huang.